0: This is The Real Magic Podcast. Learn about great design
1: and use it to get great results. Now your hosts, Greg Merrilis and Alan Nunez. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining Greg and I today for The Real Magic Design Podcast, where we try to unpack our experience to help designers and business owners understand how to create amazing designs, and work together to make design that's profitable. I'm Alan from Pixel Partners, and here is my co host, Giggles Greg from Studio One Design. Oh man, you're a funny bastard, I tell you what. Now, I reckon what the listener doesn't know, because Jason will probably have done such a good job editing this, <laughs> is that you were giggling for like, what, three minutes before we uh, started the episode, and you were giggling all the way through my, uh, through my intro. intro. <laughs> exactly. Well, what are we laughing about, Al? My, we just we have so much fun that uh, every time we get together for a recording, we you know we just have a blast. I got to say, Al's putting on some
0: funny voices.
1: I, I, look, I can't help it. I got my headphones on. I got my mic on. What were we doing yesterday? I was singing. You were having tr- trouble you with were. the connection, so I just kept singing until you came back online. Yeah, and I wanted to go
0: off straight away because it was so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: So anyway, ah, what do uh, oh, we? Oh, we've got an awesome podcast today. We. Yeah, we have Ilana, who is an AdWords expert, but before we get her in, what have you been up to, mate?
0: Oh, man, you know, there's a, a new marketing tool that uh, I've noticed a few people using on online, you know, on um, Facebook, etc., called Periscope, and it's quite new to me. I only discovered it this week. Apparently, it's been around for maybe six months, which means it's you know, ancient. And, uh, yeah, (laughs) in today's market,
1: yeah. What are you doing, old fella? You're so slow.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And the way, the best way to use it, apparently, according to really clever marketers, it's like what it is sorry it's a live video tool so um, people can join you you can put a um, you know periscope'm not sure if it's called a message or whatever in Facebook and people can jump on and you can uh, interact with those people live on a call and give valuable information and you know you could uh, use it for uh, alluding to a, an event or whatever the case is and yeah it's just becoming really popular and it's actually quite fun to jump on a call where someone's live where you have that human touch it's not recorded you know so they can stuff up or things can happen in the background and you can see them and hear them as well so it's pretty cool so
1: let me get this right it's kind of like a video call or go-to webinar but ad hoc it's not um it's not scheduled or anything exactly yeah you can just
0: post it on on facebook or twitter it's used a lot in twitter actually uh and yeah people can that are following you can jump on a call live with you And interact,
1: which, yeah, amazing. Yeah, no good for me. I don't have a face for TV. (laughs) Cool. But what have you been up to, buddy? I am just, we're doing a design project at the moment, right? And we've, you know, we're really focused on, sorry, focused is not the right word. We've come up with one great idea, right? And we're now able to repurpose it for so many different things. So what, what essentially happens, we were doing um, some designs for a new product range and we had an idea for the back of a carton which was to do a comic strip, right? And. All of a sudden, this comic strip has become, you know, something that we can give away for free online, you know, Facebook, uh, on the website. Uh, it can be repurposed to, you know, do a join the dots. It can be repurposed to a, a, a colouring e- uh, exercise for kids. You know, it can be animated into a small iPad, uh, iOS I game. It's just, you know, I guess the, the reason I bring it up is just one simple idea has been able to be repurposed to be, to do so many things that it's it's really leveraged. So I'm actually just going back through some of the stuff that we do at Pixel Partners and think, have we had any of these good ideas and not repurposed them? You know, not taken them, taken full advantage of them.
0: Yeah, I think that's gold, man. In fact, I've um, developed an entire business on repurposing some of our old designs. Yeah, I mean, we we tweak them as well and and change a few things, but essentially designs that we had sold and we still own the the IP. Rights on to a uh, to a client. We are now potentially selling,
1: or we offer them on one of our websites. Oh, that's very cool. It is, man. <laughs> Dude, you know what? As cool as that is, right? I'm like so excited to get this guest on because who we got, buddy? Mate, we, we have Alana Welcher, who is an AdWords expert. So look, you know what? Why don't we just get her in here and talk to her? Awesome. Let's do it. Alana, hey, it's awesome to have you here today. How are you?
2: I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh,
1: definitely a pleasure. Now, for our listeners, right, you are one of the foremost up-and-coming experts in Australia, maybe soon to be the world, in AdWords, right? And uh, Greg and I often mention in our shows that we do use online advertising and remarketing and AdWords. Um, But many people think of AdWords just as the little text ads that you see at the top and the side of the, the Google search results. But really there is so much more to it, do you reckon you could just run through, you know, what is really available in AdWords and maybe how each little bit works, just, just briefly?
2: I uh, sure can. So, look, as you said, search is the component to AdWords that most people know about. You know, people go to Google, they type something in, they see the little text ads comes up. But what a lot of people don't realise is that there's a whole other side to AdWords, which is the display network, which is putting your ads on other people's websites. So you have the option as an advertiser to put text ads or banner ads on other people's websites.
1: So when you say banner ads, you mean picture ads, right?
2: Picture, yeah, anything. It can be graphics. Um, it can be a whole multitude of options that, you can, that are available, really.
1: It can be animated and video. Look, I'm I'm playing a little naive, but I'm lucky enough to have you do work for me. So you have taken the time and care to explain this to me and dumb it down so that I understand it. But I guess, you know, just so that the, the listener knows. And me. Um, oh, <laughs> and, and, and and don't you use Alana, Greg? <laughs> Not yet. Oh, we'll have to have a chat after the recording. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, but, I mean, it's so it's, it's very visual, though. It's not, about, it's not just about words. I mean, you can have words in the graphics and in the designs, but it is, it's those pictures you see when you're on eBay off to the right that's not actually part of eBay and things like that,
2: right? Yeah, exactly. And there's also if you're reading an article on, let's say, the New York Times or if you're in Australia, the Sydney Morning Herald, for example, it's those um, pictures that are sort of blended through the content. They're also Google ads as well.
1: So you're saying that me and Greg could have ads in the New York Times online?
2: I am, and actually at a very affordable rate. You can, it's not like if it's on the New York Times for you, it's on the New York Times for everybody. The point is with Google's targeting, you can be on the New York Times for certain types of people and hopefully if you've done the targeting right, your ideal customer.
1: That's powerful. Oh, that is that is very cool. I mean, I, I don't think there's any ty- other type of advertising source where you know you can have that kind of narrow focus on your. But how do you pay for it? Like, do you have to pay for a month's worth of ads, or like what? How exactly do these these ads in these high level places work?
2: Well, this is the amazing thing: is that um, Google AdWords is a pay per click platform. Be it you only pay when somebody clicks on your ad. So. Any ad that somebody doesn't click on is effectively free branding. So for small business, this is an extremely powerful vehicle to get their brand brand out there and ultimately only pay for the people who express an interest in it. So it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing opportunity.
0: Can you pick and choose which websites you want to have them displayed on?
2: Yeah. So this is the thing. Basically, if you as an advertiser decide that you want to advertise on other people's website, you're kind of faced with two options. You can say to Google, I know exactly where I want to advertise. I know exactly where my target market hangs out online and I want to be really specific, and you can type in directly which adverti- which websites you want to advertise on, provided that they allow Google ads on there, mm-hmm. that's the, cave- the yeah. caveat, or you can say to Google, actually, these are the kinds of people I'm interested in, I'm not really sure where they hang out. Can you go and find them for me right. based on a whole bunch of criteria. Now it's not going to be one hundred percent accurate, but Google have done a lot of r and d in determining behaviours of people online. And they've got actually got significantly better in finding the kinds of people that you want.
0: Understood. And so you specialize in display ads. Do you also do them for Facebook?
2: I do. Um, not as probably as much as I do Google stuff. Mm-hmm. Google stuff is my bread and butter.
0: What's, what's the difference just for the, for the listener?
2: The difference in terms of
0: what? Uh, Facebook advertising to, to Google because they're both very targeted, but they have a different way of reaching the audience.
2: I kind of say that the only similarity between Facebook's advertising platform and Google is that it's they're both a pay per click platform, but the the difference is in the traffic and the way the traffic behaves. With Google, especially search, um, you know, there's intent there. People are going to Google to find something, and as a business, you have. An amazing opportunity to slide your business card under somebody's nose at the very point they're looking for it. So there's intent, and whereas on display as well as Facebook, you know, you're in, it's called interruption marketing. You're interrupting mm-hmm. someone from reading their article, and it, it it's a very different medium. But Facebook is, you know, people are going there to see pictures of their friends and their family, and so its conversions are are very very different.
1: Mm-hmm. I think also too. I mean. <clears throat> You know, the Google Display Network is this massive network of websites, right? I mean, Alana said it's everything from the New York Times to eBay to blog sites, and Facebook is just Facebook. So, you know, you can only put a Facebook ad on Facebook. So if you get a customer like me, for example, who might only tune into his Facebook once every day or two... The display network is something where I might stumble across an ad. Now, look, I've got to ask you, Alana, and I know how you how this is done, but I think our, our, our listeners would probably be pretty intrigued while we're still talking about the types of ads. Yesterday, I was actually looking for a new set of headphones for this podcast, right? And uh, Jason, our wonderful editor, sent me a link to a local store near me where I could buy the right type of headphone. And uh, I was then off on another website looking for computer equipment for my team in the Philippines. And uh, lo and behold, I see this ad of the exact headphones that Jason had referred me to sitting there, and I didn't even realise, but it was from the same supplier. And I clicked on it thinking, oh, maybe they've got a better deal. And I went back to, to where I was. Is that intentional? I mean, it can't be a coincidence that, you know, later that day on a site about electronics, I was shown the same set of headphones again.
2: Exactly. It's definitely not a coincidence. It's what we call remarketing or retargeting, uh, what other people call stalking. (laughs) (laughs) It was a little creepy. It was a little creepy. Um, Yeah. So basically you went to that website, that website owner sort of clipped you with a little tag that's remembered you and it's remembered where you been and so they're showing you the item that you were looking at based on the fact that you were there the day before. Now, remarketing is is vast and there are so many ways that you can do this and I'd say a lot of people do it really creepily uh, where they bombard people with Exactly that, like the exact headphones that you were looking at. They'll show you ten ads a day for every day for a year or something. So, but you could be really quite advanced with it, and you can you can lay your ads after a certain period of time before you show them again, or you can perhaps, if you know, based on your behaviour yesterday where you were looking at them but you weren't quite ready to buy, you can craft the ad that you next show them as perhaps free shipping or 10% Uh, off of those ones. Or you can perhaps, if you didn't buy, you can show them a different set of headphones that perhaps might be more appropriate. The classic mistake that people make with remarketing is if you did purchase those headphones, they still show you that ad. And I see that happen so many times.
0: Yeah, I find that super annoying. And yeah, it does happen a lot. And yeah, I mean, wouldn't it be as simple as just putting a success page on the site and making sure that the remarketing picks up the conversion pixel from that success page and then it stops?
2: That's right. Exactly. So you have to obviously include the fact that someone's been there to your site, but then add another layer to it to remove the person who has actually purchased.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a golden tip because, yeah, like you said, so many people get that wrong and you can really – you could pretty much lose a potential client because they're so annoyed.
2: Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, I – I get remarketed to all the time (laughs) because I'm, you know, for my clients I'm going on other people's websites all the time and I just see these classic mistakes. And another really um, mistake people make is people who do, like you can show someone who has purchased a related product that's that's applicable to the thing that they've purchased, maybe a case for your headphones that you just purchased or something, you know, And, and there are so many ways to slice and dice remarketing and the point is is that, you know, you're making the most out of the money that that you're spending are the people who have already expressed an interest in your product, which is gold. You know, so many businesses focus on getting new clients and and new traffic and cold traffic, whereas this is just making milking, I guess, your traffic for, for the most thing that it can be worth.
0: Yeah, that's really powerful, Gawel.
1: I was going to say I saw a funny one the other day. I was looking um, on behalf of uh, one of the clients that I consult to at online banking options for for sorry for um, transactions so uh, online merchants, and uh, I went to a. A page that was completely unrelated to banking and it was a blog post and it had, I think, four ad spots uh, along the post and all four ads were for the bank that I'd just been to to have a look at the the merchant. So that's like a, an example of, you know, definitely do not do
2: yeah um, i mean there's there's a whole multitude of mistakes that people do it's yeah
0: yeah all right, so we've talked a little bit about the strategy, so what about the actual images like what um i mean what sort of strategy do you use when you're deciding on what type of images to use in an ad?
2: yeah that's an interesting question like and it's very niche specific so it really depends on if it's an e commerce client or if it's a service business, but you know people are a lot more savvy these days, I have to say. And the the people now, you know, because of, as we sort of said, like, you know, remarketing, people getting bombarded with the same ads, you know, um, users are getting frustrated and they think just stop it and how are they doing it and they're creeped out by it. So people are a lot more savvy. So I think as a marketer, it's our job to be ahead of the curve. And so I'm starting to play around with new things of actually creating banners that are actually completely different to the to the brand. Obviously, the logos and stuff are the same. But you're interrupting someone from their article, so it's got to catch their eye. You've got to kind of get them off guard. So showing them the same, the same ad time and time again, they're going to ignore it. I mean, it's just, you know, then you've got to put yourself in, in their shoes. Like I wouldn't click on an ad that I keep seeing over and over again. If I hadn't clicked on it once, yeah. maybe twice, I'm not going to do it, yeah. you know.
1: You're right. You know, the, the ultimate exact imagery of, of a display ad um, can vary a lot. But are there, like, I mean, particularly this is, you know, this is a design-related podcast and, and, and we talk to designers and business owners and they're going to want to know the answer to this. But, you know, what, what are the basic elements that, you know, you should consider when creating a display ad? I mean, are there, is there a little checklist that we can give our listeners to say, well, it must have A, B and C?
2: So I like a headline. I always be split testing a headline, um, at least two different headlines. I like a couple of bullet points and definitely a call to action, be it.
0: As in a, a, something that looks like a button?
2: Something that looks like a button, exactly. Right. Saying find out more, reserve your spot or whatever it is. Definitely those three elements.
1: I know a very clever call to action that you use, Greg, is a, like a video play button.
2: Yeah, yeah we that's have, very yeah, clever.
1: Absolutely.
0: But what if, I mean, a lot of people are used to clicking on images that don't have buttons these days. Is that a trend that's coming through or do they not convert as well if they don't have an actual button?
2: Look, I think that's really depends on the on the industry actually and mm-hmm. that's it's kind of not a straightforward answer. I like to base my decisions based on data.
0: Results, yep.
2: Yeah, exactly. And until you test it, until you test the market, you really don't, no and the way i behave online is different to how my potential customers behave online
0: great so when when you start a um campaign i guess the first part of it is all about testing isn't it to work out what sticks
2: Exactly. So I like to be quite systematic about it. And so we'll test the headline first till we get enough data as to which is the winning headline. Okay, let's keep that. Let's test the next element and try and be systematic about it so that if you've got too many moving parts and too many variables, it becomes unwieldy and you, and you sort of lose track of what actually you're testing. So um, generally, with if I'm starting out on display, I like to start with one image ad size and that removes that level of variability of, of banner size, you know, because mm-hmm. you can get all these different banner sizes. Yeah. And then you're sort of testing wildly different designs. Okay, let's get those winning two ones. Let's, let's roll it out in some more ad unit sizes. So you kind of like being a bit stepwise.
0: What's the most common or what's the best ad size to start with?
2: I like to start with what's called a medium rectangle, which is 300 by 250.
0: And is that like the most widely used? Is that why you use it?
2: Look, it's, it is definitely one of the most widely used. Another one is probably 728 by 90. I just like to test that one because it's sort of big enough and you can kind of get enough elements in there. Yeah. And it's sort of, it's big enough on people's screen that I can, you know, I'm, it's not like a, this tiny little banner where I'm trying to squeeze elements in there and I'm restricted by text. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and that, that two to three proportion is actually really easy to design around as well compared to, a, you know, like the long wide banners and the tall banners. Uh, it is easy to start with an easy proportion, get the elements right, and then work those elements into the different sizes from a design from a design point of view. And I, and I guess also, do you, do you run these by your clients the the designs before you publish them?
2: You know, sometimes I do, um, and that's very much based on the client. I mean, I'd like to avoid it because, um, Alan, I use your team, and they're awesome. So I like to give the designers. Let them do their job. You know, I'm not a designer. I don't profess to be a designer. I don't want to be a designer. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, you know, that's why I'm hiring them is for them to do their job. So I prefer for the clients not to have their input. But some clients, you know, they're quite protective of their brand and they want to make sure it's all on brand. And, and I I can appreciate that side too.
1: Yeah. And, and look, I mean... I think the, the thing with that ad proportion too is, again, if you're showing something for the first time, it's much, much easier for them to see a simple uh, medium rectangle design that's a two-by-three proportion. Their brand elements are going to look good. They're not out, out of skew or anything like that. You know, we've talked about designing the ad, right? <clears throat> but I know that you've told me many, many times there's more to designing in display advertising than just the ad right so when when you put these ads out right what what's the ideal place to send these ads i mean should you just send it to the home page like should you design something specific for for each and every ad like how, what, what's your advice on this for, for most people
2: so my advice is Ideally, and this is obviously would be constrained by a clients' budget, is to have a dedicated landing page that you're sending the traffic to. And if you think about it, like someone's reading their article, they see an ad, they go, oh, that sounds really interesting. You know, you've incorporated some elements in there that's obviously piked their interest to some degree you got to think of it as like you're continuing that conversation that that banner has introduced to them so you know if it's if there's a disconnect there they're gonna go well why have you sent me here this is not what actually I was interested in that that enticed me to click so I'm just gonna leave straight away and it's just gonna you're just gonna waste your money
0: do you give clients advice on what should be on that landing page to make sure the ads as effective as it can be?
2: I do, yeah, absolutely. And this is a, often I find it quite a difficult conversation with clients because it is constrained by budget, and a lot yeah. of people don't want to create all these different landing pages and, and stuff like that. So often I will, if, if they don't want to, let's say, in the worst case scenario for me where they don't want to create a dedicated landing page, I'll have a look at where we're sending the traffic to and try and then incorporate the ads to match where we're sending the traffic to. But ideally in the ideal world, they would yeah have a dedicated page that we're sending it to and there's there's a link there it's, as I said it's continuing that conversation that the banner has sort of introduced the concept of.
0: Sure. And do you do many ads for e-commerce sites?
2: Um I do a little bit of e-commerce. Yeah, I mean not not it's not wouldn't say it's my specialty, but I do.
0: Yes. Yeah, and so because we, um, you know, we had Ezra Firestone on the on the show I don't know, weeks back, but one of the things that he really does well is he has a whole you know marketing funnel that will start with an ad on Pinterest or Facebook or wherever Google, um, and then he'll send them to like a pre sale page and just warm them up and allude to the solution being the product, which will be the next step. But you know he'll capture their email address or something like that initially to then uh, build trust with them via email, but also. Um, you might give them a promo code or something like that to then take them to the the solution product page.
2: Mm, interesting. That's be very clever.
1: Yeah. I th- I think one of the big thanks to Facebook now doing advertising, right? I think there's been a a massive shift with uh, Google because I mean traditionally Google's always been um, keyword. Based It's a little narrow and Google has recently released and, and I've been lucky enough that Alana has got me onto this really, really early, which is more interest based advertising for the display network. So, you know, rather than saying, um, you know, for example, I'm, you know, put my ad on somewhere that has the keyword sports shoes, right? You just say to Google, I'm in, I mean, I want to target people who are interested in sports shoes. Now, I might not have gone To um, a sports shoe store, but I might be looking at all the blogs related to, you know, how to, you know, start running, for example, you know, to lose weight or you know uh, gym fitness so you know if i'm trying to if i'm doing all this research about going to the gym then there's a high likelihood that i may be interested in a pair of good running shoes so that that changes the whole dynamic of, of display advertising and, the, and you know it, it's kind of where Ezra's going with e-commerce you know it used to be that you would be trying to sell something in your display ad people are using the display ad network just like they might use a quarter page ad in a newspaper Right. But the reality is, if you're doing it on an interest base, right, you can actually, instead of advertising a shoe for sale, what you can do is you can advertise here are the top three things you should consider when buying a shoe, right, which is topical. And you can get them to your site, like you say, Greg, you can pre sell them on what they're looking for. And lo and behold, the only shoe that has those three elements that you're looking for is the one that you sell. So, you know, I think uh, business owners just need to think a little outside the square. You know, if you're a designer and you want to use Google Display Ads to advertise website design or business card design, hire someone like Alana. Get somebody who knows what they're doing, because I hate to say it, there's you know, there's there's a lot of AdWords companies, big ones out there, that are years behind the curve as far as what Google is actually trying to do. You know, think outside the square. Give people pay money to give people advice that they appreciate, and start building a relationship.
0: And Alana, the rules always change, don't they? So you have to be on top of your game. Uh,
2: yeah. I heard some crazy statistic that I think last year Google made over four hundred changes to their AdWords platform. That's more than one a day. I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, some of them were little, and but you know, there were big changes, and it's. It's become its own industry that you just, you know, if you're not ahead of the curve, you just get creamed basically. Yeah,
0: um, and as a, you know, just a small business that's trying to do it myself, it's difficult and it's hard yes. to know what is going to get the best results. And I know it's all about testing the start, but it is difficult. I'd much rather pay an expert.
1: Well, okay, so, but why do okay, that's interesting, Greg, but you didn't, you didn't choose to pay an expert. Alana, do you reckon there is... The opportunity for business owners to do it themselves, or is that just like a big mistake? Is it like trying to service a modern car? You just shouldn't do it.
2: Look, I mean, there's a. I'd say there's a huge proportion of the market which contains businesses that, you know, it's sort of quite. Um, what's the word? Like bread and butter. Like it's you know it's very. It's, it's quite a simple account. You know, they're perhaps a service business. They just want to choose a couple of keywords for search, and. It probably wouldn't justify an agency managing it. So I would say to businesses, if you do decide to do it yourself, which you absolutely could, you need to say to yourself, first I need to educate myself to some degree because a lot of the default settings that Google does have is designed to Make make them more money, (laughs) which which I actually don't agree with because it's sort of short-sighted of them. But anyway, I mean, I can't tell you how many accounts I've inherited where they've wasted so much money from just really, really basic mistakes. So you have to educate yourself. You don't have to know everything, but you have to sort of know enough not to make these sort of really, really classic mistakes. And you also have to say to yourself as a business, I have. This is AdWords is not set and forget by any means. You need to watch. You don't have to watch it every day, but at least once a week because you need to see how it's going. You need to monitor the account. And there's a constant reallocation of funds to do more of what's working, but equally important, less of what's not working.
1: Now, if I remember correctly, you've got a, a Udemy course. Is, is that a bit of a DIY thing that business owners could look at?
2: It is a DIY. I actually have two courses. Uh, One is sort of like the beginner's course for people who don't have anything. So it's like kind of starting from scratch, how to basically build your account out. And the other course is for people who have an existing account, sort of how would I, I guess, effectively um, audit the account? How would I look at it and break it down and see profitable opportunities and et cetera?
1: We might put links to that in the show notes because um, I do know that when you release that, I had a couple of people that I know, I referred them to it and they raved about it. They thought it, was, it really helped them get um, a good understanding of where they should start, you know. Um, but, you know, that whole auditing and the waste of money, Greg, I've got to tell you a little secret, right? Yeah. Uh, one of my uh, ex-clients when I did a lot more consulting, came back to me recently. And uh, Alana, what did you find, like $8,000 worth of wasted ad
2: spend?
1: $8,600. Oh, you're, you're very specific, aren't you? Just rub that in. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if I was specific, I'd say 8613 no. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was this. also another classic mistake that I see time and time again. Once again, Google being... Um, mean in my opinion there's a default setting that for the display and remarketing that um, your ads will show on all these mobile apps I don't know if you've got young kids but you know my kids play on the iPad and there's all sort of these inadvertent clicks that they do through these games that you download and stuff and oh. and they don't cost a lot it's sort of 20 cents here 30 cents there but there's literally thousands of these mobile apps. So people say, oh, well, I've turned off mobile. Well, it doesn't matter. They show on iPads, you know. So you have to put in this one placement. It's what's called a negative placement and that will prevent your ads from showing on all these mobile apps. So it's, it's something which a lot of people miss And then before they know it, they go, what What are these mobile apps? Why have I incurred all these costs on it? I think for this particular client, Alan, it was like $150 just from one of these mobile apps, let alone (laughs) the thousands. (laughs) Wow.
0: It's crazy. Yeah, that's a huge mistake. Do you have any other common mistakes that people make when they're trying to do their own AdWord campaigns?
2: Yep. So these are the main ones I see. I see, first of all, no conversion tracking set up. And so for people who don't know what that is, you can set up your account to track what's sort of a win for you, be it, you know, someone picking up the phone and calling you or putting in their details in an online inquiry form. So they haven't, you know, one of the beauty of of AdWords is, is the transparency and the data that you get so that you know what's working and you know what doesn't work. So you have to set up conversion tracking to see that, otherwise you don't know basically. So that's the classic one. The other one is for search. This is everyone does this. They set up one campaign and they set up one ad group and they put literally hundreds of keywords in that one ad group. <laughs> and the problem with that is that the ads don't match the keywords. That have triggered them, and it's it's a whole mess. It's yeah, that's getting a bit technical, but <laughs> no,
0: But I think that's really crucially important because that is one thing that I, I did myself <laughs> and worked out the hard way. Um, yeah, had too many keywords, too many uh, demographics as well, and you know the uh, the,
2: yes. yeah.
0: And the best way is to split each one of those criteria into a separate ad. Is that right?
2: Exactly, because you kind of got to think about it. That the whole point of Putting implementing structure in your account is to match the ad that is most relevant to the keyword that is triggered. And if by having too many keywords in that one ad group, it's a disconnect. And so what happens is that people don't click on your ad because that's not really what I was looking for. And so you get a really low click-through rate which then impacts quality score. So this is probably a bit of an advanced topic for some people who've got a little bit of knowledge about AdWords. But that's what, and then you end up paying more. So by implementing structure and creating tightly themed campaigns and ad groups, Google sort of rewards you for that and gives you a good quality score, which then reduces your cost per click.
0: So you can get a a cheaper ad than, like a professional can generally get an ad, you know, cheaper clicks than an amateur.
2: Exactly. Wow. Exactly. So in often cases when I inherit, Um, an account that's made these mistakes, I'll often half the cost per click.
1: It's interesting what you say. So what what you're essentially saying is that if you do a really good job of your keyword choice, your ads, and where you're sending the traffic, Google actually rewards you by giving you, what, more visibility and cheaper clicks, right? Exactly. Greg and I both love split testing, right? Any type of design, online or offline, right? But, you know, because of what you've said, you know, really there's a lot to split test. What What are the kinds of things that if, if, if the listener had to make a short list of things to test, maybe not all at once, but they should go through the process, what What kind of things can you test?
2: First of all, add unit size because the visibility will vary based on where people will allow various ad unit sizes. So as I said before, you know, I test the first the 300 by 250 first and then I'll roll it out for all the different ad unit sizes. And what you'll see is the amount of impressions that you get from all the ad unit sizes will vary based on which website owner will allow certain ad unit sizes. Like some, some business owners don't want to flood their website with ads, which is totally fair enough. Um, so that's one component to test. Another component, obviously different images and perhaps you only have a text only banner ad or an ad, as you said, like that that's got a pi it looks like it's a video. Or you can have you can even do YouTube advertising. So the what's called the in stream ads, which is the the video ad that plays before you're about to watch a video. That's another thing. Um to test um, and YouTube's quite
0: quite cheap, isn't it? At the moment,
2: YouTube is is extremely cheap and it's fast. There is an amazing opportunity on YouTube at the moment. Most people aren't doing it, and you know where do you go when you want to learn something? You go to YouTube to yeah. watch a video on it. So it's it's an obvious thing, and you can be really um, really targeted with YouTube that you can. Um, if one of your competitors, let's say, has got a really active channel and they choose to display ads, you can have your ad in front of your competitor's audience. I mean, that's an amazing opportunity. And I've got some clients that were getting views for six cents a view, which is just insane. Like this is sort of the cost per click that AdWords was when it first started. So it's it's an amazing opportunity at the moment.
0: How long do you think it'll last being so cheap?
2: Well, you know, this is the thing with AdWords, If they're always changing. So I think a week ago or two weeks ago, they just changed their YouTube platform. Prior to that, you could actually get free clicks <laughs> where an ad of less than 30 seconds, if you clicked on it would um, – sorry, let me just start again. If somebody clicked on your ad at the less than 30 second mark, it was free. Wow. Now they've now they've changed it. This is the thing. You blink and it changes.
1: Well that that's the same when they did click to call for mobile devices. Originally click to call was free.
2: Yeah. But now, this is what they do, you know, they get people used to a platform, they get that all that's their onboarding and then
1: well, sorry, you gotta pay for it do <laughs> Okay. So is there anything else people should consider split testing? I mean, what about things like animated? I mean, I see, often see animated ads where yeah, they're in the spot where the static ads normally are, but they have something going on in them. Do, do they convert any better or is it just a good rule to test everything?
2: I like to test everything. And as I said before, I like to make decisions based on data, not conjecture. Um, And that's just me because I really find, because I work with so many different industries and industries just behave so differently that there's no, in my experience, and maybe others will disagree with me, there's kind of no one hard and fast rule. And you've just got to test everything. And even testing completely different banners that Almost look off brand and clients wouldn't be happy. I don't have conclusive data that I can hand on my heart, say, yeah, it works, but it it looks promising. Like, even something that's like completely black and white, you know, logo's there, but it's there's no color. Like, that stands out to people. You know, that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to stand out to people to stop them reading, oh, what's this? Oh, oh, okay. You know,
0: got it. So, you got to really concentrate on pattern interrupt to start with.
2: To start with, you got to pike their interest, you know.
0: Yeah, cool. So I find animated GIFs really annoying. I mean, I'm Let's say I'm on a blog reading an article and you have this thing flashing off to the side. So, I mean, I don't know. That's just my opinion. I mean, do they convert better? I guess it depends on the industry, but is there a general rule about animated GIFs?
2: Personally, I'm not a big fan of them, but others will disagree. With me, disagree. Um, yeah. That's just a personal thing, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah fair enough well geez there have been some gold tips in in this podcast episode that's for sure is there anything else uh, you want to give the you know, any other advice you want to give to the listener to help them get started in an adwords campaign and um yeah and improve their results
2: i guess if they want to do it themselves as i said definitely educate yourself don't buy a Book generally, because by the time you buy it, there are elements which will be updated. <laughs> but just educate yourself in terms of the importance of. Thorough keyword research, structuring your account, setting up some various tracking metrics.
0: Basically, I mean, you've given us our listener some amazing tips. Um, Now, I've had a quick look on your blog, and you've got some incredible tips on your blog as well. Would you say that's a good place for somebody to get started, so they don't get too overwhelmed with like you know books and things like that, but just some some nice fast tips?
2: I'd say my blog is probably for people who have some level of experience. Okay. For someone who's completely new, the Udemy course is probably the best place to start and then once they've kind of educated themselves, familiarized themselves with the interface, got an idea of kind of the big picture, structure and everything like that, then probably there's additional tips on the blog as well.
1: Awesome. I think I think it's really important too that, you know, if you know you're looking at studying this and learning this, don't go and buy a book because this stuff changes so fast. You need to find an expert who is constantly updating their training so it is the latest, greatest, and newest. Because, you know, this stuff is is literally out of date before the ink dries on the paper when they're publishing the book.
2: Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, as I said, like YouTube's. Changed to their platform last week or two weeks ago, whatever it was, it's massive and it's it's changed quickly. Now you can't actually put sort of fake buttons on your video because it, the button the click doesn't work anymore. You know, so it's sort <laughs> of I mean, there's a workaround now without it anyway. That's a that's a bit advanced, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this is the thing, like it's constantly changing, and um, you just you need to buy the latest education it's sort of recorded because as you say, by the time you buy a book it's already updated. I mean the principles are the same. There's probably some merit in in understanding conceptually how how things work, but in terms of like screenshots that are displayed in the book, you know, six yeah. months it'll be it'll be outdated.
1: Gone. Yeah. There you go. Amazing. Okay, Al. So I'm about to ask you where listeners can find out about find out more about you. But look, before I do, and I don't want this to you know sound like uh, you know I'm I'm uh, talking up Ilana too much. But Ilana and people like Ilana, right? If, in my experience, every dollar I've spent because people hesitate, they think, oh, you know, I'm already spending. You know, two thousand, five thousand, ten thousand dollars a month in my AdWords, right? And and there are companies out there spending well more than that. Um, they think, oh, well, why should I pay more? for for somebody to to service especially if they're on the lower end of the budget but you know for every dollar i've ever spent in adwords with someone like Ilana managing it i have made back more money by either saving on ads or getting better conversions so um you know if you if you are thinking about doing this yourself just get it rolling and then as soon as you possibly can look at getting an expert to to manage it for you because it'll be worth every cent so Ilana. If people want to find out more about you, should they look you up on Facebook, go to the blog?
2: So best place to find me is greenarrowdigital.com. That way you put, um, that'll come to me. That's the best place.
1: Love it. Love it. Um, Thank you. Great stuff on the blog. Thanks for joining us today.
2: No, thanks so much for having me. It's, um, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, you're a wealth of knowledge and, uh, yeah, I've enjoyed it and I've got a lot out of it. I'm sure our listener has too. So thanks,
2: thanks for coming. Awesome. Thanks so much.
1: Uh, Greg, that was a killer episode. Absolutely. I mean, look, there's way more to AdWords than we can fit in one episode. But, uh, you know, for now, let's do our listener actions and killer tips. Greg, what's yours, mate? Sure, man. So for me, I reckon the biggest thing that I got out of it was
0: everything needs to be tested. It's the whole process that she goes through as a professional to split test the target market, the you know, the geographic location, the age group, all those sort of things uh, need to be split tested as well as, what's your killer tip?
1: Well, look, I think, you know, getting the structure right of what you're doing. I thought you were going to say split test the images. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I was actually going to say, look, split testing, think outside the box with your split testing for display ads. Because like she said, maybe something a little off brand, as much as you might look at it and go, that's not my brand. Mm-hmm might actually convert really well and get people back to engage in the brand. But I think the structure of the way you set up this advertising gets you thinking about the way you're split testing because you're looking at very small components. She's saying don't bundle it all together because it's not all the same. You know, break it into little bits.
0: Yeah, can I ask, so when you're designing, like your business is designing ads for her or for her clients um, and, you know, her main sort of message was to be a pattern interrupter, uh, like do you guys – purposely go out of your way to be i
1: don't know just in your face with the designs uh it it really depends on the client and the branding i mean and it depends on what she's trying to achieve so we have for our wholesale clients for for agencies you know we have different types of display ads that we design right so like she says we will we will be tasked to design six completely different ads Right, right right that have just there is as little relationship to each other. I mean, if you looked at them, you'd think they were almost from six different people, mm-hmm. Yeah, right? And then once that's refined, that's where we would start to look at ways to improve it. So she would come to us and say, look, you know, we're at the point where we, we've got a headline that works well. We've got a call to action that works well. Let's now tra- test, you know, a black and white ad or a blue and white ad, like just a solid, solid colour ad sure. that's slightly oh. off-brand. And like she said, it might still have the logo there. Right. So it's not like you're trying to be deceiving. You're not trying to pass yourself off as something else, but you're just trying to be one step removed from what they've just seen. Yeah, got it. Got it. Yep.
0: Makes total sense, man.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mate, that was great. Listener, go and get your notes from this episode. And if you didn't take notes, go back and listen to it again. Come and visit us and give us some comments on the RealMagic.com and uh, we'll catch you next time. Oh, Greg, yeah, see you, mate.
0: (laughs) Don't be shy. Like, if you – like, we have what's called Discuss, which is a commenting system on our blog on our website at therealmagic.com. But um, if you don't have an account, just sign up. It's totally free, and, um, you know, it's just a good way to connect with us.
1: Yeah, and feel free to go and leave a comment on iTunes. We'll try and keep an eye on that. That doesn't allow us to reply, but if we see some comments up there, we can certainly reply on an episode in the future. You got it.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: Thanks, listener. Catch you next time. See you, buddy. Thanks for listening to The Real Magic Podcast. Hear more at
2: therealmagic.com.